0: main speaker tonight, and that would be Hank. Hi, everyone. My name is Hank, and I'm a happy, sober, grateful alcoholic. And I didn't get here that way. I got here restless, irritable, discontent, physically and mentally drunk, uh, and couldn't stop drinking. Uh, I was brought up by a father that was a chronic alcoholic uh, during the Depression days uh, and even in the uh, Prohibition days. And he used to make a lot of different concoctions that some of it used to blow up trying to hop it up. And uh, so uh, I should have known better than to drink, but I didn't drink until I was 18 years old. And it was... uh, just a one night stand and uh, I made a big jackass out of myself and got very ill the next morning and I swore off that I'd never drink again and several years went by and I didn't drink. In fact, I uh, I got married and uh, I married a woman that I was attracted to her because I didn't drink. Well, that was one of the attractions and, uh, so, uh, World War II broke out, and, uh, I enlisted in the service, and I got my training down in San Diego, California, and, uh, Camp Pendleton and Oceanside, it's a marine base. And they, um, psyched me up with hate, taught me how to kill, and then they took me to the Southwest Pacific. And, uh... Our job over there was to repossess real estate. Uh, these uh, <laughs> these Japs had taken a lot of real estate over that uh, we wanted back. So uh, that's what we proceeded to do. And you couldn't serve papers on them. Uh, it seemed like you just had to kill them because they, uh, I guess they were born that way. So uh, that's what we did, and I got very weird in the service, and uh, and got to the point where I enjoyed killing human beings, and I got into dentistry, uh, mainly gold, and uh, I'd stomp their jaws open and dig their gold teeth out and put them in my pocket. And we had some guys that were cutting off ears and stringing them on a wire, and we had one guy that was skinning backs. He was going to make lampshades. So you get kind of Asiatic over there. I was full of hate. and I hated these people with a purple passion. So, uh, I was on Lebanon, I participated in 11 invasions over there. And, uh, you know, these eyes have seen a lot of bad things. And so, uh, they decided that uh, they was going to ship st- me back to the states, I guess I was getting a little too Asiatic so uh, they put me on a transport and I come come down with uh, malaria on this transport and damn near died I weighed 170 pounds and I dropped down to 145 in five days and there was a whole lot of shaking went on and that wasn't the end of the shaking later on, I'd done a lot more so, and then they uh, diagnosed me as having malaria, so they started pumping ad, or, uh, quinine in me and uh, I got back to the states upon a thirty day leave, and I had another malaria attack and uh, I had got quite nervous in the service, and got skinny in New Guinea because there was malaria in the area. So, um, I was uh, had my 30-day pass, and then I, went, I was supposed to be, uh, go back to Norfolk, Virginia, and I went to Norfolk, Virginia, and I was having a lot of problems uh, with headaches, and my nerves were bad, and they gave me about 150 guys to watch. Uh, I was in a sixth grade grade, so they gave me about 150 guys to watch with sticks with nails in them and They were stabbing cigarette butts, and it was calling a dive bombing. And, and I had just come from some real dive bombing, and I didn't have a whole lot of patience for this bullshit because uh, I well, didn't know these people to start with. And they were, you know, running off here and there, and I'd end up maybe with twenty-five. So I just turned myself into the sick bay and um, see what the problem was. So they put me in a hospital down there, and uh, I was in this hospital. Uh, for seven months. And they started running a bunch of tests on me, and they couldn't find anything wrong with me organically, and I had uh, another malaria attack in this hospital, and they were observing me, and uh, I guess I was having a lot of nightmares and a lot of weird shit going on, but anyway, they started feeding me goofballs, like phenobarbital and yellow jackets, to keep me subdued. And uh, I wasn't real friendly. and. They uh, had me so subdued that I could hear people walking and talking, but I couldn't move. And so uh, after six months of this, the doctor called me in the office and he said, we're going to survey you out because we're not doing you any good. We're going to keep you another 30 days and wean you off of these pills. And he said, for God's sakes, don't go back to these pills because, he said, you'll be an addict. Well, I didn't want to be an addict because there was an addict in the next bunk to me and this poor sucker would get down on his knees and he'd beg for these pills. And I didn't want to get like that. So uh, this 30-day weaning off period come up and uh, I got my discharge and uh, that was probably the happiest day I had in the service. So I went back to California and uh, where I lived and... Uh, people talked me into going to house parties and they were drinking over there and uh, so I started drinking and uh, dancing, you know, cutting some rug. I used to snap them girls around pretty good cut a heap of rug and and I'd be real sick that next day with that so-called hangover but every time there's a party come up I'd be there partying again I'd done that for several years, and then I got sick of this partying. And uh, I started drinking after work, uh, it was every night, and it progressively got worse. I, could, I didn't see it, but my wife was counting. And uh, she diagnosed me as being an alcoholic, and I told her what she was full of. And so I moved my operation out to the garage. and. Uh, because this woman is starting to stick her nose in my business too much. And so I moved my operation out to the garage, and as I looked back over it, uh, I started drinking my lunch, and then I started drinking my breakfast. And it got so that I had to have alcohol in me and with me at all times. I had to have it, regardless of where I was, I had to have it in my truck, I had to have it in my car, I had a boat. I had to have it in the boat, and I had to got so that I had to get two drinks to stay down every morning before I could even move. And uh, a lot of things were starting to happen to me. I was having stomach trouble, so I uh, we had this big Bible, and so I looked up stomach trouble in this Bible, and. It seemed like there was a fellow in there by the name of Timothy, and he had stomach trouble, and he wrote to Paul. And Paul wrote him a letter back, and he said, drink a little wine for your stomach's sake. So I got me some wine, and I started drinking wine, and I tried different kinds of wine. And uh, I ended up being a common sewer of fine wines like Muscatel, Tokay, White Port, and Dark Port. I even tried that Jew wine. That Jew wine a little too expensive. Um, so I found some wine. I tried different wines, and I found uh, this wine uh, called Santa Fe. Uh, I could get two a gallon of it, a whole gallon for two dollars and a half. So uh, I want Santa Fe all the way. And uh, so. Uh, I was having dry heaves and the shakes had started, and it got so that I either I either drink or I shook, and I learned how to keep from shaking. Us alcoholics, you know, we're pretty smart. Uh, We learn these things. But anyway, uh, I tried to stop drinking, and I couldn't stop. And about as near as I come to praying before I came to Alcoholics Anonymous about this thing, I used to do a lot of praying in South Pacific. I used to pray every day. Uh, If God would get me out of this mess, I'd go back to the church. And uh, so, um, about as soon as I come to praying, I hollered out about three different times as I can recall, my God, there's got to be something better than this. And so, um, after I'd done this these three or four times, I was asked to be a pallbearer at a funeral on a Monday at one o'clock in the afternoon. And uh, I was half drunk, and that's the best I could do. And when the service was over, this man come up to me that I'd known for several years, and I didn't like this man. I-, I didn't like him drunk, and I didn't like him sober. In fact, I didn't like anybody. And so he come up to me, and he says, I hear by the grapevine you're having a problem with booze. And I didn't say it was It wasn't. Because I didn't, I didn't like him, and that's the reason I didn't answer him. So he said, would you like to come to an AA meeting with me? And I said, how much does it cost? And he says, well, he says, you can come as my guest. It won't cost you anything. So, you know, hey, the price is right. Uh, I wasn't going to spend a whole lot of money on this, because it wasn't going to work anyway, regardless of what it was. So... I asked him when this meeting was going to be, and he said, uh, it's coming Wednesday at 8 o'clock. Uh, I said, how will I get to this meeting? He says, well, I'll, I'll come and get you and take you there. And I said, how will I get home? He says, I'll bring you home. So I asked him what type of clothes you had to wear, and he says, come as you look as long as you're covered. And so I asked him if he had any suggestions, and he says, yes, I have one. He says, come as sober as you can come. I was feeling him out to see if I had to come sober, because if I had to come sober, we just as well, forget this trip right now, because I knew I wouldn't be sober, because I couldn't get sober. I tried everything I could think of. I used to talk to myself a lot about this problem, and I never got no answers, because I was talking to an idiot. So... I concentrated real hard this Wednesday on being as sober as I could be like the man said and I was half drunk. He called me up about 7 o'clock. He said, are you going to go to that AA meeting? And I said, yeah, I'm going to go. He said, well, I'll be down and pick you up. So he came down to my house and took me out to this place. And it was way out in the boondocks. I didn't even know where I was. And... uh, we got in this place, and it looked like there's about 125 people in this place. We got there a little bit early, and it was real noisy in this place. These people were laughing and smiling and joking. And I wasn't laughing, and I wasn't smiling, and I wasn't joking. And he said, where do you want to sit? I said, they had a podium like this. So I figured this is the front of the room, so I said, I want to sit right up in the front, because I want to, I'm going to learn this all in one trip, you know, my mind. I want to hear what these people got to say. So this meeting started, and we said, I sat said up in the front, and they said, are there any new people here? And I stood up, and I said, my name's Hank, and I'm an alcoholic. And these silly people started clapping. I wonder what the hell are they clapping about this? This ain't funny. And there's uh, a lot of terminology there that I'd never heard before, like easy does it. This too shall pass. Live and let live. And but for the grace of God. And think, think, think. But that's not for you, that's for us. And I didn't know what they were talking about, but there was a couple of guys got up there and they talked about needing a drink and I knew what they were talking about. And so there was an old wine who got up there, his, his name was Alex, I learned later on, and he was telling about how he was out along the, the freeway one time and uh, his wine I don't know how many winos we got here tonight, but sometimes wine won't stay down. It just will not. So he was having this problem, and he only had this one bottle of wine, and he knew he was going to need a drink in the morning, so he he got him a tin can. He started throwing up in his tin can and saving it till morning so he'd have a, a morning drink because he was way out in the boondocks. And I thought, my God, this is terrible. I hope I never get like that. My wine... It went down nice and clean. They come up for me, but I mean, I never did. I never did rerun it, and um, I guess you could call it reclaimed wine. It had just slightly been used, but I thought, my God, I hope I, I don't never get like that. And so, when the meeting was over, some of these people come up to me and they shook my hand, and they said, "Keep coming back," and I didn't understand that. And why they wanted me back. In other places, people didn't want me back. Uh, some of them even told me to get the hell out and don't never come back. But they asked me to come back. And uh, there was one big, burly guy. He come up there and he put his arm around me and he hugged me. And he said, you keep coming back. It's going to be all right. And you can bet your ass I was watching that other hand because <laughs> I didn't know what I was getting into here. I'm not, I'm not wired that way. So, uh, I kept coming back to these meetings. I came, I guess to 25 or 30 of them drunk. And they keep saying, keep coming back. one smart ass said, keep bringing your body and maybe your brain will show up. And I didn't, I didn't appreciate that too much. Because I thought I was pretty smart. So, uh, I kept coming back. And I finally got this bright idea. I know how these people stop this drinking. They taper off. So I started this tapering off process, and I switched from wine to beer. And I got down to two beers one day, and uh, this was fantastic. I got this sucker knocked. So uh, I come home, and my wife looked at me, and she said, you haven't had very much to drink today, have you? And I said, no, I had two lousy beers, and tomorrow I'm not, I am not going to drink nothing. And I believed that. And tomorrow come, I was wiped out. I had one shoe about half full of water. Well, it wasn't exactly water. And some other stuff running down my leg. And I finally got in the house, and She looked at me and she said, "Oh shit. She said, that AA ain't no damn good. I said, by God, AA is good. Those those people are doing it. I'm going to find out how they do it. And she said, bullshit. You ain't never going to get sober. Well, God, these 12 steps, fooled her ass. She thinks she's a damn smart. She's one of those Al-Anons. Well, you shouldn't laugh at them because our book does mention them. It says they're not at fault. They seem to have been born that way. So I kept coming to these meetings, and I finally heard what I needed to hear. I heard somebody in the meeting. I don't know who said it, but he said you couldn't ask any silly questions in Alcoholics Anonymous. So I grabbed this guy out in the parking lot, and I started asking this cat some questions. And he stood out there answering my questions. I had a lot of questions. And he stood out there answering my questions till 2.30 in the morning. And I finally asked him, I said, How the hell do you get sober? And he said, Well, you just don't drink. Well, I had a suspicion of that. And I said, If I, if I don't drink, I shake, and I shake violently. And he said, "And I said, I've got that phenomenon of... I and mean, I didn't say phenomenon, but i got a craving for alcohol. I had the phenomenon, but I didn't know about what they called it. I got another name for it. but." Uh, I don't call it a phenomenon Uh, the the book says phenomenon but I don't call it a phenomenon Uh, so anyway he said you have to work the program I said what program he says well you hear it read at every meeting he says it's in the fifth chapter how it works and he says there's twelve steps there and he said you take these steps and you start with the first one he said you don't read them you don't listen to somebody read them you take them I said, where do I get these steps? He said, well, you got them right there in your hand, that little free piece of literature. I was picking up all the free stuff. I didn't know know they had a big book. Some people are sorry I found it. But but, it was true. I I bugged people with this book. (laughs) But anyway, uh, I took this little booklet home and I read these 12 steps over. and This was a fantastic little booklet. The price was right. Uh, so I read these 12 steps over, and I thought, "Nah, that don't look too tough. I can give this a whirl. And because my system don't work. So I read them over, and I said, Notice that little hook on the back side of step 12. Practicing these principles. So I thought, Now, I've got to practice something here. And so... Uh, I got to that first step and I said, admitted that I was powerless over alcohol my life was unmanageable. He said, yeah, I'm powerless over alcohol, my life's unmanageable, what the hell do you think I'm doing over here? And second step said, come to believe in a power, greater than in myself that can restore me to sanity. Well, I happen to be an alcoholic that's always believed in God. I've believed in God since I was a little kid. And... Uh, So I didn't have any problem with that, and I knew I needed to be restored to sanity, even though I had a different concept of what sanity meant from what they mean about it in the big book. But anyway, um, I remember when I was in the service, uh, we had this atheist, uh, or he claimed he was an atheist, and one of the days when it was really coming down. I mean, some days are worse than others in the service, in combat. And this particular day, it was really coming down. And he hollered out, oh, God, help me. And I said to him, I says, I thought you said you didn't believe in God. And he said, well, just in case. And I never did hear him say any more about that.